It's 1934. In Paris, France, the sound of jazz music is thick in the air, and the cabarets around the city are filled with artists, dancers, and musicians. Josephine Baker is dancing at the Moulin Rouge. And on the other side of town, the powerhouse singer Edith Piaf is singing at the theater of the Champs-Élysées. But at this club, the Ball Blume, everyone is waiting to see one woman take the stage. Dancer Adrienne Fideline. But everyone knows her as Addie. About two years before, Addie was standing on a dock at the port of Guadeloupe in the West Indies. She was nearly 17, and her country was reeling from a devastating cyclone that killed 1,200 people and left Addie an orphan. But she made it out and had made a name for herself in her new home, Paris. Paris was the beating heart of the art world in the 1930s. Major artistic movements flourished, like Cubism, Surrealism, and Art Deco. And the music and art of the West Indies had taken the city by storm. It even had a name of its own at a club called the Ball Blume. People describe sort of entering into the space and finding yourself in this other world. Blacks and whites were together drinking and dancing and carrying on, so it was a very wild and hedonistic and intense and exciting environment. Let's just say this club wasn't the place you'd find French elites. For white Parisians, the Ball Blume was underground. So it put West Indian dancers and revelers, like Addie, into very particular company, including the man who would change Addie's life forever. Surrealist artist Man Ray. A lot of the members of the avant-garde, like Man Ray and his uh, surrealist companions, were frequenting these clubs because they were so countercultural. And the assumption is that that's where Addie and Man Ray would have met. Man Ray was a big deal. He was one of the most prolific artists of the 1920s and 30s. One of those artists so revered, he could have a rule that he exclusively be called by his first and last names. And everyone followed it. An expat living in Paris, he was a white American from Philadelphia and a respected photographer and artist of other mediums like film and painting. Addie and Man Ray crossed paths on December 29, 1934. You can imagine them locking eyes from across the room and instantly knowing they needed to be together. They fell madly in love. He marks that fateful day with a single word entry in his diary. Addie. She would go on to affectionately break his name rule by calling him Man. She was 19 years old, and he was 44. But Addie was more than Man Ray's girlfriend. She was his model and muse. He made hundreds of photographs and other works featuring her. Their creative partnership would see Addie become the first black model to appear in any major fashion magazine and inspire the work of some of the biggest artists of the 20th century. And before this story is done, she will have not just inspired art, but saved it from the Nazis. From Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is They Did That. I'm Takara Small. <laughs> 
Today, the story of Addie Fiedeling. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So I started down this path to research a bit Addie's life and her story. And I realized that there was not a lot known about her. I thought, how could people look at this dynamic figure and not want to know more and not ask more questions? Like it was mind boggling to me. That's Salah Elise Patterson, a journalist and writer passionate about highlighting unsung heroes. She's made it her mission to find all the pieces to Addie's story because she was intrigued by the woman beyond the photographs. But Sala wasn't the only one obsessed with her. She was very vibrant and dynamic and active and beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. And that's Wendy Grossman, an art historian who came across Addie in 1996 while doing research for a Man Ray exhibition. Together, Wendy and Sala have co-authored two of the most comprehensive texts on Addie. And so the more evidence that we have of Addie being a source of inspiration for artists of that time, the more cemented she is as a muse of the Surrealist movement. To really understand what Addie meant to Man Ray, as well as the other artists in her orbit, like photographers Lee Miller and Roland Penrose, and even Pablo Picasso, we have to break down what a muse is. A muse is somebody who inspires, right? But I think the muse inspires in a multiplicity of ways. I think that's what separates a one-off collaboration. Somebody who is an endless source of inspiration. Endless is right. In Man Ray's work, her imprint can be found in nearly 400 photographs of her, several drawings, paintings, and a short film titled Addie. Her essence was there, at the center of his work for this really important productive period in his career. It was her undeniable presence that made her a muse. She gives so many different looks and perspectives and feels, depending on the moment and the light and the garb and the positioning. And it's a whole world. It's a whole universe. I mean, Addie was this young, fierce Black woman who, to be someone so young, had lived. Addie had moved on her own across the ocean as a teenager and had developed a poise and presence way beyond her years. She was comfortable in her own skin and her spirit seemed to grab the camera and pull her in. She was half Man Ray's age, but was at least as experienced. At 19, she knew more of the world, its breath, its darkness, and its light than the bourgeois white folks they usually palled around with. She was a fascinating being. Man Ray learned that quickly, and so did his friends. British surrealist painter Eileen Agar wrote in her 1988 memoir, When Addie first met Picasso, she went up to him, flung her arms around his neck, and said, 
I hear you are quite a good painter. I mean, talk about a boss move. But there was a serious and thoughtful side to her as well. She had a soulfulness that was magnetic. She captivated a group who were at the height of sophistication and intellect, some of the most acclaimed artists of their day. She was clearly embraced by this community of surrealists. Certainly see it in very intimate photographs. They're all having a great time together. But there were some obvious differences between her and this exciting circle. Besides being 20 years their junior, she was also the only person of color among these white friends. And I know, you know, that eventually that would lead them on very different paths. But now, in the mid-1930s, Addie, Man Ray, and the other Surrealists went everywhere together. Pablo Picasso invited her along with them to his home in the south of France for a summer holiday. This holiday would cement Addie as a muse, and not only to Man Ray. The couple arrived at Picasso's stunning home overlooking Cannes on the French Riviera in August of 1937. Picasso called it Notre Dame de Vie, Our Lady of the City. It was picturesque and it had 35 bedrooms. Yeah, pretty incredible. This is the place Picasso painted some of his most iconic work. And those summers together, they were incredibly lush and lazy summers, a lot of swapping of lovers and muses, lots of food and drink and sex and sun and beach. Not how I spend my time in the summer months, but everyone to their own. The serialists weren't your typical vacationers anyways. You know how they say one image is worth a thousand words? Well, this image captures that pretty well. Lee Miller, the very well-known American female photographer, was part of the group. She was Man Ray's lover and muse, prior to Addie. For some, having an ex on your sexy summer holiday might be a tad awkward, but it's safe to say it wasn't for Addie or for Lee. Their sexual liberation and freeness with each other shined through in one particular photograph. In Miller's photograph titled The Picnic, it shows five friends lying on the grass around a low table under the trees. You see Addie smiling from ear to ear, topless, next to Man Ray. Across from them, their female artist friend is also topless, French kissing her partner. Man Ray and Addie look at the kissing couple lovingly, and a little cheekily. Roland Penrose, Miller's partner, sits beside them bathing in the sunlight. Addie, then 22, was the kind of person who livened up every encounter. She was that person who might inspire you to take a photo. She was so present and alive when the camera was on, it was like the camera itself would beg you to shoot her. The photograph is a prime example of surrealism. It was a revolution in art and literature. They believed in defying reason and structure and promoting self-exploration. They were hedonists. They believed in free love. So much so that the graph of who was sleeping with who was basically a spiderweb at that point. And among these artistic giants, Addie found a place in the group in her own shape and size. She did talk to her great-nephew about those years as being among the greatest in her life. So she definitely enjoyed and partook and was a full participant in all the activities of the group. 
Maddie wasn't just in this one photo. She was in 60 works by Miller and Penrose, and another 18 by a German artist named Vols. And it wasn't just happenstance that she was there. She was central to their art, and she was part of how the Surrealists saw the world. In another photo taken from Picasso's house in the south of France, Man Ray photographed Addie standing outdoors against a wall, naked except for her flat shoes, bold earrings, and a chunky necklace with a long washboard extended over her legs, like a wooden maxi skirt. She's striking. I'd say it was clear Addie inspired everyone at that house. Or was it almost everyone? Picasso was known to paint portraits of his guests, and you would think he'd do the same with Addie. But there isn't a concrete piece of Addie in Picasso's catalogs. Although it was possible that she was there, hiding in plain sight all along. And I kept saying it just didn't make any sense to me that he would not have painted Addie. They were clearly a very close-knit community, and so I sort of followed that trail. It's the summer of 1937. Addie had found her footing in her new home of Paris, and everything else seemed to click into place. She was dancing in the most exhilarating club, she was in love, and she was fully enmeshed in a group of artists whose work was turning heads in the art world. That life was pretty fabulous. Right now, she was sunning herself on the grounds of an estate in the French Riviera. Her lover, Man Ray, was about to hand her something that would cement her spot in history. It would also expose the cracks in her creative partnerships, not just with Man Ray, but with the entire group of surrealists that she'd come to call friends. Man Ray handed Addie the latest issue of Harper's Bazaar, one of, if not the biggest fashion magazines in the world. He flipped to the center, and there she was. Addie commanding a page of her own in this iconic publication in one of his photographs. It's hard to know how she felt. On the one hand, it was historic. Addie had just become the first black model ever to appear in a major American fashion magazine. This was a huge deal, because at the time, William Randolph Hearst, the publishing magnate who owned Bazaar, had a strict ban on black models. Hearst was, like all the other publishers of New York magazines at the time, upholding a ban that, you know, was aligned completely with racial and cultural and political dictates in America in the 1930s and 40s that did not see Black people as being on par with white people and certainly did not see Black beauty as being on par with white beauty. On the other hand, the spread was titled The Bashongo of Africa Sends Its Hats to Paris. It's pretty hard to look at now. But I imagine that it probably was for Addie back then, too. Sala Patterson notes that she can sense that from the photo. Addie, topless, poses with a Belgian Congo headdress while wearing a tiger tooth necklace and an ivory arm bracelet. It's actually one of my least favorite images of Addie. She looks very uncomfortable. What Addie probably hadn't seen before Man Ray passed her the magazine was the article by their friend, the writer Paul Eluard which was deeply racist, trading entire stereotypes of Black people and vanity. Eluar is someone she was probably going to eat dinner with that very night, whose wife had been amused to Man Ray as well. It must have hurt to read. 
This photo shoot was very different than anything Addie had done before. And maybe that was in good part because this wasn't really art. Or at least that wasn't why Man Ray made the photograph. This was for money. Shooting fashion spreads for Harper Bazaar was Man Ray's side hustle. But it's hard not to see more at work. A muse inspires, but they don't get to control what the artist does with that inspiration. Addie, who was usually so in control in the hundreds of pieces she appeared in for Miller and Man Ray, was truly out of the driver's seat here. The art and Addie suffered for that. The bizarre spread was a one-off. Addie didn't appear in any more fashion magazines, but neither did any other black models for decades longer. But it was sort of emblematic too, because even though Addie was integral to the surrealist crowd, she had no control over her own part in it. Man Ray called Addie his little black son. Eileen Agar, the British surrealist who writes in her memoir about Addie in the south of France, revealed some shocking revelations. Man Ray kept making fun of her and saying that people in Guadeloupe eat raw horse. And she said, that's not true, that's not true, until she got really upset about it. And Picasso finally said, that's enough. Like, we're not talking about this anymore. But Addie remained a part of the group, as well as Man Ray's muse and lover for the remainder of the decade. And my guess is, Addie knew what she was doing. She had come to Paris by herself, orphaned by a disaster, a teenager from a tiny island, and she had put herself at the center of an artistic movement that was changing what art could be. She inspired and contributed to some of the greatest art being made in her time. She was living a life I can only try to imagine. But for her, and for all the surrealists, it was all about to change. In June 1940, the Nazis had invaded Paris. Man Ray, who was a Jewish and an American citizen, boarded a ship to New York a few weeks later. And just like that, there was an ocean between Man Ray and his muse. But their letters to each other showed how committed Addie remained to their partnership, both its romantic and creative sides. And the same seemed true for Man Ray, who promised he would send for her once he arrived in the U.S. These are some of the excerpts from the letters Addie and Man Ray sent during the war. We've edited them down to be read aloud. July 30th, 1940. Man, my love, I often remain in Saint-Germain, but you know, it's very difficult to refuel, and then the area is plundered some more. I'll leave you, my darling man, by kissing you passionately, and I love you with all my heart. Your little Addie. Return to Sender. August 19th, 1940. My love, I am horribly worried having not heard from you. I think only of you and I blame myself every day to have left you. Until I get news of you, I do not have much to tell you except to tell you how much I love you and how much I miss you. Life would be completely empty for me until we are together again, Man Ray. My beloved man, I am sorry to not have gotten news from you yet. I'm writing to your sister's address as you've asked me, but I don't even know if you've arrived. My love... What becomes of you? Darling, I do nothing but wait for a word from you. You surely wrote me since my departure, and I wish to receive a long letter soon. Oh, my dear Addie, I force myself to write you, but I have nothing to say, except expressing my love for you, and that I'm interested in nothing but that. Man. My love, why is it that I have no news of you? 
You wrote me, surely. If I had only one word from you, I, I would be so happy. Man. Return to sender, return to sender. Man Ray's hope of hearing from Addie, well, that would end in disappointment. Postal service was interrupted, and so a lot of the letters never reached the other side. After the break, how when the war came to Paris, Addie rescued Man Ray's art and herself. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Addie was still in Paris, but Paris had become an entirely different place. Now, the Nazis ran the city with tanks on every corner, and soldiers with machine guns strolled the sidewalks. There was a curfew from 9 p.m. until 5 a.m. At night, the city went dark. And during the day, Parisians were rationing food, tobacco, coal, and clothes. Nazi flags hung from the buildings on the streets, and at least 50,000 Jewish people in Paris were killed. Addie wasn't dancing at the Ball Blume anymore, and she wasn't drinking and hanging with her surrealist friends at the cafe on the terraces. Instead, she was home alone, living in Man Ray's apartment, worried about her next meal. But even though she hadn't had a letter from him, even though they were living in different worlds, she was still his muse, and she would do anything for his art. And his art was in danger. Man Ray was Jewish, and while he may have saved himself from the Nazis by sailing to the U.S., his artwork was considered degenerate, and still a target. And it could easily have been lost to the Nazis, opportunistic art thieves, or anyone looking for something to burn or sell. Addie writes in a letter to him saying, I took everything that I could from my house. You have nothing to worry about. She had moved his belongings and art to a safe location. Addie had also printed his negatives, protected his hundreds of photographs, his belongings, and property. Other pieces were entrusted with close friends. Art historian Wendy Grossman says she did a lot more than just that. And apparently there's anecdotes about her carrying paintings across the mountains into Spain to get work back to Man Ray. But in order for Addie to stay in Paris, to keep protecting his work and his legacy, she had to stay alive people were dying of starvation and disease. With nightlife shut down, Addie had no income, and with her wealthy friends having deserted the city, 
she had no one to lean on for help. Man Ray had tried to send money, but the mail wasn't going through, so she resorted to drastic measures. She wrote to him saying she had sold some of his things because she was in desperate need, but that she made sure to keep track of his other belongings. Addie had been a model, muse, and even collaborator, helping to paint backgrounds and prep his photo sets, and now she could add preservationist. So part of his legacy is indeed indebted to her. August 25th, 1944, Nazi troops empty out of Paris and the city started to lurch back to life. Addie was still so young, not even 30 years old, but she had survived a war by the skin of her teeth. Her life must have been in particular jeopardy as a woman of color in Nazi-occupied Paris, and yet she risked her life to save their art, the art she and Man Ray made together. And all the while, Addie never stopped writing Man, and never stopped hoping to hear back. She was pining for and holding out for a man who was already deeply involved with somebody else. Five years after he'd sailed to America, Addie finally hears from Man Ray, but not directly. He sent word through two friends that he'd begun dating another woman. Like Addie, she was a dancer and now his new muse. And this would be the woman he'd spend the rest of his life with. The mystery of Man Ray had been solved. But Addie was still waiting to hear back from their other friends. These were people she shared years with, collaborating on art and life. And she'd asked some of his old friends in the Surrealist set for a little help to get by during those years. She did reach out to a couple of friends of Man Ray's asking if they would sort of do a sketch and maybe sign it, something that she could sell for money. And nobody responded. Nobody came to her aid. She was deeply disappointed by that. Lee Miller and Roland Penrose and the others never picked up the friendship again, which meant that this chapter in her life, at the center of the surrealist scene, had closed. Remarkably, Addie did stay good friends with Man Ray and his new partner, because it's from their letters that we know so much about Addie's later years. We know Addie found love with Andre Art, a black man in Paris who, despite his name, was an insurance salesman. He nursed her back to health after a devastating illness at the end of the war, and even wrote to Man Ray on her behalf to call him out for breaking her heart. Addie's life was different now, but in many ways, she remained true to the person she was before. She continued to dance in clubs on the Champs-Élysées that catered to Black Parisians for a few years after the war. She did theater, and she even went to Italy and Switzerland with a Black dance troupe. So she did continue to dance. She also did some of the modeling that I described for these gentleman magazines. And so I think she pieced together a life for as long as she could, using her body as a dancer or as a model, as an extra in films. But then Addie and Andre fell on hard times, and she took whatever work she could find. But she never stopped being that radiant and magnificent person who inspired Man Ray, Lee Miller, and the other Surrealists. Her spirit remained. Addie liked to hold parties with, you know, rum and food from Guadeloupe, and they entertained. And she loved life, and she celebrated life. What made Addie captivating to Man Ray and the Surrealists? Her joie de vie, her love of art and life, 
her comfort with her own body, she never lost any of it. She just simply fell out of frame. The job of telling the story of art history doesn't belong to the artists or the muses. This is the land of the biographers, the historians, the curators. And it was exactly these folks who failed Addie. And as art historian Wendy Grossman notes, being left out once can bury a career. It's just kind of like once you're written out and nobody knows the information, it's like a self-perpetuating narrative that this person isn't important. And that's exactly what starts happening. Take the surrealist Roland Penrose's biography on Man Ray from 1975, for example. It's likely the most comprehensive text on Man Ray's life. Penrose writes of Addie, Addie, the delightful girl from Guadeloupe who could swim, laugh, and dance like a brown angel. She doesn't even get a last name. He doesn't mention the over 400 photographs and pieces of Man Ray's work in which she appears or took part. He doesn't mention that she saved so much of his archives during World War II, or that they appeared in photographs together. None of that. She was given one sentence. Biographers like Penrose almost had to go out of his way not to talk about Addie. Remember that photograph of the lovers at the picnic? Salah here again. There's Paul and Nush Elwar, Roland Penrose, Man Ray, and Adi Fidelin. And then Lee, Lee Miller taking the photograph. Of the six, she's the only one that never became famous, who never had a biography written about her, who was never celebrated. And she's the only major lover muse of Man Ray's who never received any attention. It's hard not to see a systemic, almost diabolical lack of curiosity of who this woman was in so many of Man Ray's photographs and Lee Miller's too. There are photos and publications of her next to her surrealist friends. And in the caption next to everyone else's name, Addie's referred to as merely a friend. Her name is misspelled and she's identified to be from places that weren't her actual country. Even when Man Ray's longtime assistant mentioned Addie briefly at a 1999 Man Ray exhibition, it was with such a lack of care for who she really was. He said that she had died while she was very much alive. So the fact that he had just already kind of dismissed her at a time when people still could have contacted her. But soon that opportunity wouldn't be an option. In 2004, Addie died quietly at the age of 89. Once Wendy and Sala first saw Addie, they couldn't stop seeing how everyone else pretended not to see her. Penrose's one-line mention of Addie in Man Ray's biography was more than he wrote about her in Picasso's biography in 1965. There are more books on Picasso probably than any other artist, and I've, you know, I've gone through as many of them as I have been able to read about that period of time, and you know, she's just not in any of them. But Wendy knew about that iconic holiday Addie and the Surrealist took at Picasso's villa in France. And she knew that Picasso spent his days painting portraits, many of which were his guests. Wendy had a hunch that amongst the portraits, she might find Addie. It was my intuition that there had to be a painting. There had to be a painting of her or a drawing. How could he have just not even been inspired 
to, to represent her when all the other women had representations who were on this holiday in the south of France. Wendy got access to Picasso's digital archive of every piece of art he made in his lifetime. There were 16,000. It could have taken Wendy's whole lifetime to go through them. But then she had an idea. I was at home in my office and I just said, okay, I'm gonna narrow it down to these dates. Wendy knew to look for work made in the summer of 1937. I just opened it up and I said, oh my God, that's it. I just was very excited. To me, it was not a question I, in my mind. I just was absolutely convinced that this was her. After the break, the mystery of Addie Fidelin and Pablo Picasso solved. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. We all have questions that keep us up at night. The self-help industry tells us they have answers. As a journalist and a skeptic, I'm not so sure. So I've set out to talk to people who have gone to radical lengths to find answers. I'm Katherine Rowland. From Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Seeking. On season one, we're diving deep into the portal of plant medicine and psychedelics. Listen to Seeking wherever you get your podcasts. Wendy found exactly what she was searching for. Addie was in a painting by Picasso, titled Woman Sitting Against a Yellow and Rose Background, dated September 1937. She describes why she was so sure this was Addie. The hair is clearly the hair of a Black woman. Okay, you look at it in terms of how it, the hair is rendered. Also, the skin is in a darker tone than the skin tones that he used on any of the other women, the white women that he made portraits of. There is one more similarity that Wendy found especially interesting. Then on top of that, when you look at it next to the photograph by Man Ray, it has the same pose. And it's an unusual pose because she's holding a washboard in front of her and this washboard she's holding with her arms sort of around the sides of it and then holding it across the lower half of her body. Remember Man Ray's photo from that lazy summer vacation at the Picassos? Wendy decided to make the trip to Musée Picasso in Paris to find out more information on this Picasso painting. She went to the archive of the museum and asked to see Picasso's notebook from 1937. And then I turned the page and my, like my eyes almost popped out of my head. I looked and I said, oh my God, there's the photograph of Addie holding the washboard that I was convinced was the, the corresponding image that established Addie's identification in the Picasso painting. And so I was just really excited. I was shaking. It was the photograph Man Ray took of Addie on their holiday to the French Riviera. Wendy believes from the writing on the back of the photograph, written A-R-R, 
meaning arrangement, that Man Ray shot the photo of her while Picasso stood next to him, painting her portrait. The two surrealist artists shoulder to shoulder with their muse, Addie, before them. Seeing Addie in Man Ray's, Lee Miller's, and now Pablo Picasso's artwork makes Addie's role in art history undeniable. This woman is significant and is worthy of our time and worthy of our attention. And so the more evidence that we have of Addie being a source of inspiration for artists of that time, the more cemented she is as a muse of the Surrealist movement. Addie Fidelin contributed more to the Surrealist movement than so many whose names and stories view museums, books, and art history courses. Her art has been shown at the Met, the Tate Modern, and Le Centre Pompidou. Her images are taught in art history, whether or not she is named. But now, thanks to the work of people like Wendy and Sala, we know how big her contribution was. In 2018, Sala and Wendy joined forces to write the most extensive biography on Addie to date. They presented it at the 2019 show La Model Noir, The Black Model, at Le Musée d'Orsay in Paris, one of the greatest art museums in the world. People were fascinated by Addie, which is not surprising in the slightest. Her magnetism transcended time, and now so would her influence on art. Addie repeatedly went down on Time's permanent record. The biographies from Penrose and others, those were temporary. The art, the art that Addie made with her body and face and soul, that is eternal. Addie changed how we see art. Because of her presence, she changed who we see in art. With her own artistry, she changed who makes art. No matter what obstacles Addie had in her way, she kept going. She survived. And in turn, so do hundreds of photos and paintings in which she so magnificently shines. Next time on They Did That. We all had something in common. Our goal was to provide the Hill District with the very best pre-hospital care that we could because we knew if we didn't do it, it wouldn't get done. They Did That is presented by me, Takar Small. This episode was written and produced by India Whitkin. Man Ray was voiced by Jack Mulhern. Addie Fiedelin was voiced by Tiffany Walker. Our associate producer is Serena Chow. This episode was edited by Lizzie Jacobs with additional editing from Jasmine Romero. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. Engineering and sound design by Sam Baer. Our production coordinator is Lily Hambly. And our original theme song is by Cedric Wilson. <laughs>